reporting animal cruelty anytime we see it. I know it's tempting, and I feel this way too sometimes, not to bother because you think, well, they're never going to do anything anyway because they never do. But the truth is they definitely can't if they don't know about the abuse. So it's always good to report it. This is Defender Radio. I'm Michael Howie, and this is Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers, brought to you by the Fur Bears. I was a bit surprised and confused to see headlines popping up about the Ontario SPCA backing off farmed animal investigations and not laying charges in what seemed to be a clear hoarding situation. In trying to learn more, I realized that the issue is complex both in how cruelty laws work in Canada and in the politics of changing them. And when those two worlds collide, there's one person I call, Camille Labchuk. The executive director at Animal Justice and a powerhouse attorney, Camille joined Defender Radio to talk through what's going on with the Ontario SPCA, the problems in having a non-government agency manage legal matters, and why making sure that advocates are properly filing reports, complaints, and creating paper trails matters. There is a lot of news about the Ontario SPCA uh, in the last two or three weeks. Um, there's their general things they're doing, which is good, but we're also seeing there was no charges in a cat hoarding case uh, where there was over a, or nearly 100 living cats removed from a property and at least 100 dead cats found. Uh, and there was no credible evidence that could be substantiated to lay charges, according to a spokesperson. And just a few days before that, we read that uh, the SBCA is pulling back from investigating cruelty cases involving livestock and horses, uh, which has something to do with funding and how things are being done. Uh, and I, I guess the, the place to start is, how does the Ontario SPCA work? It does it, it, It's very confusing because it's a charity, but it's an arm's length government agency with the power of arrest, but they rely on largely donations for funding to do these things. So let's start there. What's the organization of this very important agency? Well, it's right to question how this is all set up, because if you think about it, it is uh, literally crazy that we have a charity in charge of forcing animal protection laws. So public laws that we democratically enacted, the government has handed over enforcement authority exclusively to a charity. So, you know, the reason that this system exists, and it's not unique to Ontario or Canada or any of the Commonwealth countries, the reason this exists is because when the very first animal cruelty laws were enacted in the UK in the 1800s, there were there were very few private, sorry, public enforcement bodies. So police didn't investigate crimes as they do today in the same capacity, and prosecutions were mostly done on an individual one-on-one -on -one basis, not by public prosecutors. So it made sense back then for the Royal SPCA in the time, at the time in the UK to form and take on those cases involving animals, and that was a good thing. But mm. now that we're in 2018 and all law enforcement except for animal law is done by public bodies with accountability and transparency mechanisms, a lot of people are just starting to question why this system still exists where animals are shunted off to a private charity that's not well funded. Yeah, it is. It is. It's 
I mean, I try and come up with an intelligent quip and I can't. It's just, it's weird is really the best way to put it for me. It, it doesn't make sense. Uh, and that's where we run into some of these cases. So we've got two cases here and we don't know the details on all of them. Uh, so we'll start with that. But one of them, they are pretty much saying we're not going to investigate this because we can't. Uh, which then leaves this massive hole. Uh, and as Animal Justice has documented numerous times, there are significant livestock issues in Ontario. Uh, so why don't we look at those? What are we seeing with livestock cases? Um, is this a, a serious issue that is going to be at great risk because of this potential change in the OSPCA? Or is it something where it's, yeah, you know what, they're right, it's not that big of a deal and the industry itself can regulate? Well, to put this into context, in Ontario, I, I couldn't tell you exactly how many animals are considered livestock. I, I don't love that word, but farmed animals, let's mm -hmm. say, in the province. Uh, there would certainly be tens of millions of animals right now in this province under that category. So in that sense, it's a lot of animals. But the other context that's important is that there are currently no provincial or federal regulations that apply to their well-being while on farms. It's not a regulated area as it is. So it's not like the OSPCA is going in and doing farm inspections right now to see if those standards are being complied with because there are no standards. The OSPCA only really gets involved with farms if there is a complaint and some evidence that uh, allows them to go in and do an investigation. So it's not like there's uh, some huge sort of randomized inspection uh, program going on right now already with the SPCA. It would just be that they pull out of investigating those offenses if they get complaints. So I obviously it's concerning that there might not be investigation, but there are other agencies who can do this work. The police have the authority to do so. Uh, and fundamentally, I think what's important is that this is starting a conversation about what the government should be doing. Mm -hmm. So whether it's time for us to finally have laws protecting animals on farms, have regulations providing for the standards that must be met. So standards for space, for veterinary care, for socialization, for the types of mutilations that can be done on them without painkillers. So what kind of standards should exist and why shouldn't it be a government agency tasked with enforcing them? Yeah, it's it. It's funny how often the questions lead to more questions, isn't it? Um, it is. But those are the ones that we have to ask. And uh, one of the things that uh, came up uh, in this one article CTV ran uh, discussing the, uh, the cruelty cases and uh, farmed animals, um, they are citing increasing costs and the collapse of high-profile cases such as a probe involving marine land which contributed to poor public perception of the organization. And that's a funny one because I feel like both sides involved in advocating about marine land, whether people were for it or against it, thought the SBCA did not do a great job. And again, it comes down to this, this weird juxtaposition of them being a charity relying on donations, enforcing government law. Uh, and of course, as you've mentioned, that government law is very, very weak. What should in terms of advocates we be doing in trying to change this? Should we be appealing to the OSPCA? Should we be recognizing the OSPCA as a symptom of a different problem? Should we be talking to MPPs in Ontario or MLAs and uh, MNAs, other jurisdictions? Well, Michael, I think this is a question with a political solution. And I think it's politicians who need to step up and take ownership of this issue. 
For far too long, the Ontario SPCA, I mean, first of all, the, the very fundamental problem is that they are a private charity tasked with enforcing public laws, which sends the perception that these laws aren't as important as ones protecting humans, which of course is wrong. A secondary problem is that if the SPCA is going to be enforcing laws, they deserve adequate funding so that the animals can receive that attention and care. And of course, the SPCA receives just under $6 million per year uh, to enforce all the laws pertaining to all the animals in this province. And of course, that's just an absurdly low figure. So I think it's really important that people are now seeing this for what it is, starting to have this conversation. And recognizing that it's probably time for us as a society to try something new. I think that the government has, has liked the system as it is right now because they are able to avoid responsibility for these terrible animal cases like marine land, like farming cruelty, like fur farm cruelty, by just saying, well, that's a job for the OSPCA. That doesn't have anything to do with us. And fundamentally, it does because animals are members of our society as well. And they deserve consideration by politicians. So I think it's time for us to start having conversations with our representatives. Something that I wanted to talk with you about specifically is how we also contribute as concerned advocates. So this this, this is kind of a, it's a difficult thing for me to summarize, but I, I will start with the reason I'm asking these questions is our work with the BC uh, Conservation Officer Service in trying to... Uh, push them into having proper policy, following their own policy, uh, and ending up uh, taking legal avenues to try and address some of this, has revealed that frequently a couple of things can happen. One is people aren't pushing to make sure reports are filed. Um, We have a case right now we're following, and I won't go into the details for numerous reasons, but the individual has been trying to follow up with a conservation officer and not really getting a response not being told what a case number is, uh, et cetera. And we just had one, actually, uh, a bear cub was found dead. And the conservation officer said, well, I can't attend. Uh, if it's that severely injured, a local veterinarian, like get them to come out and euthanize, which is what happened. And the gentleman who found the bear cub buried the bear cub. But that also means that there's probably no report on record beyond the fact that this guy called in. So then when we're looking at how policy is implemented and how policy is written, how funding is delivered, there's things not being listed. Uh, So there's this first degree of making sure that reports are filed when you see something. And then uh, there's even the beyond that of filing an actual complaint. Uh, And this is an infinitely complex thing because it's different for every single government agency. But we found particularly with the COS, um, and my experience has been with police uh, in this regard, police have very clear procedures in place for if a civilian wants to file a complaint. Um, it be- and the reason for that is because it's too easy to manipulate. So it's if you say, I want to complain, then immediately these steps come into play. Um, but with COS, with some of these other things, if you say, I want to complain, well, you've got to go download this form from a government website that they're not going to tell you about and figure out how to write it, needing some level of legalese, and then knowing how to pursue it beyond just sending in an email. So the giant mess of a question I'm getting to is how do we talk to people about following through on concerns and complaints about who to call when we see something 
um, that isn't right. What, how do I, I don't know. I need you to fix this for me now. <laughs> I, I think I get what you're trying to get at. <laughs> I hope so. Big... Cause I'm not sure anymore myself. Well, it is a big and complicated question, but for me, it's sort of two fundamental issues emerge from it. One is transparency. So understanding what an agency has done about a complaint. Um, and then the other one is accountability, uh, having that transparency in essence to follow up on what has been done and ensure that jobs have been done properly. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, when it comes to Ontario and the SPCA, those are two issues that we've actually fought in court about. So uh, there's a constitutional challenge going on right now. We're still awaiting a decision on that case uh, filed against the whole system where the Ontario SPCA can enforce laws. So the constitutional challenge has to do with the idea that it's not right in our society for a private charity to enforce these laws. But specifically, some of the reasons that this court case says it's not right is that uh, right now, activists or people who are being policed by the OSPCA don't have the ability to file freedom of information requests because they're not a public agency, they're a private agency. We also don't have the ability to complain about the actions of any individual officer. So when you put those things together, you've got a system where you don't know what the agency has done and you can't complain about it because you don't know and because yeah. there's no mechanism in the first place. So I guess the advice I would give to activists in this province is uh, you can still try. You, you should still follow up with all agencies, the OSPCA included, and that includes Ministry of Natural Resources officials as well, anyone else, uh, OMAFRA, which is an agriculture agency that does some work involving animals. It is still important to follow up with them, and I would just say be a thorn in their side. Document everything and uh, obtain as much information as you can about what they're going to do, because you may be able to use that later to hold them to account. But to fix this problem where we don't have accountability and the transparency in Ontario right now, I think that the OSPCA considering pulling out of enforcement in some areas, it's probably a good thing because what is likely to fill that gap is a government agency. So you think that if the OSBCA says, and, and as they are suggesting, we are not going to do this anymore because we're not properly funded or structured or whatever the argument is, it would create a hole that the government would feel compelled to fill. I think something has to fill that void. I just don't think that Ontarians and Canadians would stand for a situation where no one is doing that work. We care about animals as a society, and we expect that our government is stepping in to protect animals and their interests and make sure that the laws on the books are enforced. So I'm not actually concerned that this is a, a situation where there will be a huge gap or void in enforcement for very long. All right. I'm a little concerned about the current government, though, uh, <laughs> to be honest, is the one that would do it. Um, I mean, I guess they're kind of a law and order government in a way. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think that's exactly right. This the, the provincial conservative government does appreciate law and order issues. I think that they are a government that would probably consider themselves tough on crime. And I think that applies to animals as well. And conservatives have traditionally been some of the most supportive governments for animal issues. I mean, it was Mike Harris's provincial government that ended the spring bear hunt and the liberal government that brought it back. True. The Liberals brought in BSL. The Conservatives have suggested they would support getting rid of it in the past. I don't know if that's really a priority for them anymore. But uh, that is, I mean, it is an interesting conversation to have. Uh, I, I I don't know. I, I'm so skewed against this current government, though, just based on the media stuff alone, that it's hard for me to wrap my head around. 
Well, you know, Doug Ford apparently is personally quite an animal lover, and I know that he's told people before, supporters of ours, that his wife and his four daughters would kill him if he ever did anything against animals. So mm-hmm. I think that there's hope for anyone, and I actually see animal issues as cutting across partisan lines. There's something that a lot of different people of a lot of different stripe, stripes can get behind. I guess we're going to see. Uh, we'll, we'll put a whiskey on it. Um, <laughs> You're on. All right. Uh, and of course, I, I think ultimately when people are concerned about these laws, when we're, when we're talking about, you know, our case that we've taken to the Supreme Court, when we're talking about the OSPCA, when we're talking about seeing something at the side of the road, um, how do people best support change uh, in, these, in this regard? How do people best get together and find solutions? Well, I think that there are three main ways that we can all support change. So the first one is meeting with our politicians as regularly as we can and developing a relationship with them. That includes federal members of parliament. That includes members of provincial parliament or provincial legislatures. And city councils, too, can do enormous things within their power for animals. So meeting regularly with them, making sure they understand that some of us vote on animal issues and that they need to do something about animals to attract our support. Uh, volunteering on their campaigns, getting involved in the political process. So that's number one. Number two is reporting animal cruelty anytime we see it. I know it's tempting, and I feel this way too sometimes, not to bother because you think, well, they're never going to do anything anyway because they never do. But the truth is they definitely can't if they don't know about the abuse. So it's always good to report it. And then the third way is just being active in your community, in your social circles, among your colleagues, making sure you're able to have those conversations with, uh, with, your, with your networks, because that's how change starts to happen. It's by individuals learning about issues, being influenced by those around them, and seeing that this is something important to care about. So I think there's lots of ways to be an engaged, active citizen, and uh, the law follows social attitudes. It's not that you can just impose a law and expect everyone to then comply with it and that that changes people's attitudes. The law comes first, or sorry, comes second because social attitudes come first. So just having those conversations is a way of driving legal change. To learn more about Animal Justice's work, visit animaljustice.ca or follow them on social media by searching Animal Justice. I want to thank Camille for joining me for a bit of a rambling conversation on a broad subject and all of you for listening. Until next time, I'm Michael Howie for Defender Radio reminding you to stay informed and stay strong. (laughs) 